Hello and welcome to You Matter. Hello and welcome to session 31 of You Matter, where I'm talking to physiotherapists and business owners, Nicola Graham and Helen Preston. Both Helen and Nicola made the shift into business ownership some years ago, and they're in a good position to talk about that sometimes tricky transition where perhaps in comparison to being a clinician, your concerns and your priorities might change. And you might be trying to make that shift on the back of perhaps no formal education in business ownership. They both tackled this in their own individual ways. And I think you'll quite enjoy hearing the distinction between their their two particular journeys. We also have a discussion at the end around leadership, what leadership means, and perhaps who might be emerging in the future as some symbolic leaders in our profession. So as ever, I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll be very interested to hear your your reflections and feedback. And I will be back at the end of the session. Hello and welcome to session 31 of You Matter, where I have two guests this morning, um, two female business owners, Helen Preston and Nicola Graham. So Helen Preston of Preston's Health in Petersfield, is that right? Peterborough. Peterborough, sorry, Peterborough. (laughs) And Nicola Graham of Tops Health in, I'm going to guess, Oxfordshire, is that right? That's right. That one, right. (laughs) And Nicola is also director of MSKPN. Now, Nicola, Helen and I have had some very brief discussions, mainly over WhatsApp, around the concept of being a clinic owner or a business owner. Um, or both. And we're going to talk about that sort of subtle distinction um, when we get into the discussion. But really, uh, all three of us actually are, are business owners and physiotherapists. And we wanted to talk about the internal tussle that we all recognize between shifting from being a clinician to then owning a business, uh, varying levels of comfort around taking money at all and then making profit. Uh, and we know that we're not alone in that because there are endless discussions online about this um, this topic. So without any further ado, let's get straight into it. Helen, you gave me a lovely line. You said when you started out in business, which I know you inherited from your dad with all this kind of concomitant things that that means. You said when I started running my business, I wasn't even comfortable with making money out of physiotherapy. And I made a decision at that time that uh, I was going to be the business, which is a really interesting statement. So can you tell me what you meant by that? Why was there comfort in being the business at that time? Um, I think for me, it was, I was comfortable with discovering myself as a physio and being the best physio I could be. Mm. And so it was really just focusing completely on that rather than anything really to do with the financial element of running a business that needed to have all the structure involved. So although I did inherit my business from my dad, um, it was um, a one-man practice in a garage, he hates me saying that, next to the house. And it it actually became a much bigger thing within a few years because we redeveloped we knocked it down and redeveloped and I bought property off my parents and and redeveloped it and it suddenly had a massive financial context around it um but it didn't change my mindset but it mm. in the way that looking back it possibly should have done um so yeah it was all around the physio and focusing totally on the physio and at that point I had no concept of understanding um the way I do now confidently the importance of 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 um driving best practice business-wise as well as clinically yeah and we'll talk a lot more about the the sort of journey you've been on with that Helen and the things that have have helped you change that mindset but I think that's what you've just said so many people will identify with I've got this discomfort around making money out of my business but I'm really comfortable with striving very hard to be the best clinician I can. And as long as everyone sees that I'm trying to be an amazing physio, then I'm okay. I'm okay with myself. 
Is that fair? Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Nicola, if you take yourself back to the same point, um, presumably there was the same point where you shifted from a clinician within a business to deciding to run a business. Where was, Can you remember where your head was at at that time? Yeah, um, my, so my father owned his own business. And so on, like entrepreneurship kind of was in our blood or my blood. Um, and I, so what happened for me is I was finishing my MACP masters in uh, Birmingham and my boyfriend at the time was living in Oxford. And so I either had a choice to go back to London where there was a job waiting for me in private practice or um, come to Oxford and see if there was something relationship wise there. So I went for an interview at a business um, the Oxford Physiotherapy Service tops, and at that first interview the lady said to me that I'm looking for someone to take over the business and straight for me that was kind of a light bulb moment of that's what I've always wanted so I've got the opportunity here of combining what my career is with business um, and so it was a it, it was quite an easy decision for me because it was like a door being opened and um, what I what my personality is is I jump into everything kind of two feet first and then think about it afterwards and it was only when I actually then took over the business which was nearly kind of four years later from that initial kind of conversation and um, so mine was a management buyout um as the owners were retiring um I that that change actually from having to manage and lead a team of clinicians that were more experienced than me, that had been in the business for longer than me. Um, and I'm pretty gun ho and don't really, and I was only, how old was I? I was 29. And so it was all, it was actually um, quite, it's only when afterwards you reflect back, you think, God, I could have done things so much differently, or I could have had those conversations in such a better way. But I, um, I think for me, there was never an identity issue with the business because I'd bought an existing business. I hadn't founded it myself. So I didn't have that emotional attachment to it in the same way. Mine was more around, I had absolutely no skills in how to be a leader and how to be a manager. And that's the bit I had to learn massively on the job. And I think for me also, because I bought an existing business, it was never my name above the door. And I've always, I've tried to work my way out of the business as much as possible so that um because I think I always had a goal in mind to sell at some point that I didn't want it associated with me as a person so I think I didn't I didn't consciously make that decision it was kind of more maybe the the context of where it of where it was and how I came into business mm -hmm. that it was never really associated with me as a person I've been obviously fundamental in its kind of growth but I've a, a load of the clients and the patients wouldn't even know who I was in some respect and I quite liked that because it's allowed me to make probably more objective decisions about it as a business rather than as anything related to me as a person mm. don't get me wrong I'm highly emotional as well but um, <laughs> you yeah I, I think it's I've, I've been able to distance myself in some way from it from from the get-go yeah yeah I can relate very much to your story, Nicola, in terms of the same um, process uh, I bought into a, an existing business. And at the time, that business was very much associated with the previous um, owner's name. He was brilliant. Um, he was known for working with Gloucester Rugby. Everybody knew Chris's name. And you know, although it was called Courtyard Clinic, then it was almost that's Chris's clinic. And uh, I bought in with a, a colleague with 50-50 um, owners. And we made the same decision at the start that we don't want this business to, to be about our name, which was sort of just intuitive at the time, but probably also helpful in that identity process that you've just talked about. Um, but I completely also identify with you, Helen. And that uh, I think it wasn't so much a shift in me as much as I recognized a shift in the way the people working in the clinic related to me. Um, and I almost sensed that overnight people who I'd been very much an equal with and a, a junior to like you Nicola in, in many ways, suddenly put me somewhere that I felt really uncomfortable. Um, and it wasn't just, uh, you know, you're now, running this business it was almost like there were characteristics which were never part of my makeup 
um, and I didn't identify with. In hindsight, I needed to grow into some of that identity to be able to take control. I think I wanted to stay everybody's friend and mate for too long, um, mm. but I, I found the shift too quick and, and it didn't feel comfortable at all. Do either of you identify with that? Yeah, um, it is. Um, I mean, you said to me, Joe, something pretty powerful. So we've just started, we haven't just started a new business, but we have opened up a new branch um, in an area we have been in before, but it's we've got a proper room. And um, it's a long story, I won't go into that part of it, but you said to me, we decided we would set up this clinic that is the idealist. I've learned so much about this whole journey of physio um, business business and I'm okay with saying that word now um let's set this business up as an idealistic business and you said something very pertinent to me Joe around around you know because I was like oh I, I could just nip it because because a lot of it's to do with recruitment so oh I'll just nip it I could always just bridge that gap I'll bridge that gap and I'll I'll, I'll do a few hours there or whatever and you were like this is actually if you want this to be a business that's not going to be about you you've got to not do that <laughs> not <laughs> and, do clinics not do clinics so you know we've set this up and and there are lots of compromises we're having to make around insurance and different things because we're not seeing insurance we're doing a prepay um uh business but you know as a business model the other thing actually you said we we discussed was about this kind of idea of actually i'm not altogether emotionally attached to the outcome of its success like it is i'm trying to see if it's possible um and if it's not got the emotional attachment that, say, the Peterborough business would have, if I couldn't make that work. So it's, it's yeah, I've, I think I'm beginning to see the change in that character, my, one of my characteristics. Mm, that I do remember. Change. Am, I le- am I leaning it? I'm leaning into something that I wouldn't have lent into before. Yeah, and that sounds like sort of externalising the business, making it a, an entity which is not actually part of you um you know it's it, I love that idea that you picked up on of not being too emotionally attached to it I know we all are and we want success but to be able to put it outside of yourself and almost play with it and say let's see what this thing does there was a really interesting and I'm trying to think of the context of it now but it was talking about I think performance and failure and things and actually how I oh know I know what it was it was around growth mindset and actually how you do need to not associate yourself with failure or success in that way. Um, And yes, they can be opportunities for learning and experience, but I'm not sure I'm going to get the detail completely correct here, but it was on one of, I think it was on one of Huberman's um, podcasts, but it was, there was this element about not associating yourself too much, associating yourself too much to that identity, because then when you do have a failure or something goes wrong, it's like it's so personal to you. And at the end of the day, we're all going to have ups and downs in life in business and personal. But how we kind of contextualize that and how we move on from that is what allows us to have some resilience around it. And um, and so, yeah, I think that identity thing is a really interesting aspect because we are delivering quite a personable service in a bespoke, individualized way to everyone. And therefore, it is emotionally there's an emotional aspect to it if you care like there are some mm. people that will deliver it and and that will be mediocre and and, and it's not great but it exists um but if you truly care of the outcome of the treatment that you're giving of course there's an emotional element to it and you truly care the reputation of what your clinic is the brand and how it's perceived and uh, and aspects around that because that so so that kind of being able to distinguish between the two I think it's also understanding that there's a like a a paradox there that you you can be emotionally attached to it, but it not drive or control you. So you can have some control over it. Um, But of course, you're going to care because it's your business. And if you didn't care, it wouldn't be successful. So you have to be kind of comfortable with being uncomfortable in that situation as well, Mm. which I think only comes with a certain amount of experience or at a point in your life that you can um that you can take that all on board because it's pretty it, it's pretty emotional in, in its own right to be able to consider it in that way yeah being comfortable with the uncomfortable is a really good really good phrase um what do you both think about the fact that probably because of the size of most um clinic businesses 
most business owners do do some kind of work in their in their clinics um you know yes a lot of us try and extract ourselves over time but the reality is to a greater or lesser extent most business owners do still practice clinically do you think that creates a problem do you want me to go because i've got probably yeah. a different... i don't work clinically anymore so i stopped in 2017 on my second maternity leave um just i i just knew i didn't have the headspace um if i was with a patient i was thinking about all the admin business side i needed to do if i was doing the business side i was thinking about a rehab program i hadn't sent and then you've still got two children a husband a, a family life to try to kind of fit in so to me it was more of a mental capacity and then it was a what do I enjoy the most? And I felt like I'd had a really great clinical career, um, but I'd probably reached my my ceiling point of that. Um, uh, and mine was also around why am I trying? Why am I doing this? And if I'm if I'm uh, with a patient one on one or a client one on one, I'm having an impact at that level. When I own the business and I can manage and lead the team, I have an impact at a much larger level. So the decisions that I could make out of side of a treatment room, I felt for me had a greater impact on health in our community because I could influence the way the services were delivered within our business. And I can't do that from inside a treatment room. So for me, it was really important to be able to kind of distinguish between the two. I also knew that if I was trying to make decisions uh, it's great that I think I've had a clinical career, but if I was trying to make decisions of you'd probably I'd probably have gone for easier options on some things or gone. Mm. Oh, actually, oh, we don't need to do that. Or, or or I would have found reasons or something not to because it would have made my job harder, maybe as a clinician or different as a clinician. And so um so I think that degree of objectivity, while I can relate it always to my clinical career, sometimes that degree of objectivity was important to me. But I think it's a real it's it's hard to sit with both hats and there will be a ceiling point where either one will, I think, probably stop progressing. So either the business will stop progressing or your clinical career will stop progressing because we only have a certain capacity for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're trying to do both, I think that is tough. Um, you can still have a great business and a great clinical career. But as I say, I think there's a ceiling point where you just have to hand. And there's also a point where you go, I'm not the best. So I think I became a better business owner because there were other people that were much more engaged in the clinical side and their development. Um, and so I think it's okay to know that you don't, you're, you're not expected or you can be the best at everything as well. So if you're not the best clinician, don't, don't be the clinician, hire better people than you Mm. in your team to do that clinical service. And you do the bit that you're really interested in. So, um, so to me, that was quite, as I say, maternity leave was a, because when you when you start to you know that patients will want to stay with you and so for me it actually was just a great line in the sand mm. like I'm away now for a few months um I still teach one Pilates class a week um but what I know is that the business is not reliant on that revenue um and for me it's more of a um, my own health and well-being be doing the exercise and I get to see people that are part of the business for the last kind of They've been coming for 10, 15 years to Pilates. And so it's a great way of being able to speak to like 20 people in an hour, mm. where if I was doing physio, I would only have seen one or two people in that hour. Um, so it's a great way. And, and the other thing that I love to do is I sit on reception quite often in the week because it's a great way to chat to people and find out their niggles and what they're unhappy with or not happy with. And I couldn't do that if I was sitting in it, if I was having a carrying a caseload as well. Yes. Um, but that's the only way it worked for me. The, the one other thing I'll just add in is because I have two young children, they're only seven and five now. But when I took on the business, I didn't. So 2013, I didn't have any children. My children were born in 2016 and 2017. The only way I felt I could run my business, the only part that I could add value to really is I couldn't see patients during the day when I'm having to look after children but what I could do is I can do business admin in the evening when the children were asleep so it actually is what worked for me personally is um 
being involved in the business admin, not trying to hold a clinical caseload down that I therefore wouldn't have been able to take my kids to the park in the day or something like that, that I wanted to do. So it was more around um, fitting with my personal needs of trying to be a mum as well. Mm, so there were lots of business needs and also personal needs. You just reminded me of um, around the time we were purchasing the business, my kids were really young. And uh, I remember you know, talking to solicitors and accountants and trying to sound like I knew what I was doing. And you know, somebody had just wet themselves in the kitchen and thrown something at somebody else. <laughs> if I could have like a, a life mute button at that moment, it would have been helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Helen, your situation is a little different, isn't it? I know you still do work clinically. Where where do you sit on this? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's totally ballsy because if you let let go of your HCPC, Nicola, am I thinking? Yeah, only literally last when the last registration was. So I stopped work 2017, kept some CPD going, but wasn't really seeing... As I said, there's one guy that I occasionally would see, an ultramarathon runner, but just because I knew him. And... Um, and then, so when was the last registration? 2022, was it? Because mm-hmm. it's due again in 24, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah, I get that was the last time mm-hmm. I gave it up, which at the time felt like nothing, like because you just don't renew it. Afterwards, when people would be like, who, what do you do? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know what to say now because for <laughs> 18 years I've been like, I'm a physio. And that just kind of rolled off my tongue. And suddenly I was like, I run physio businesses. And so I had to kind of reword what my kind of opening gambit of who I am. So there was a lot tied into the identity of being a physio that I didn't give credit to until I gave it up. And then suddenly it was like, oh, no, I'm not a physio anymore. But actually, that was a great I, I needed that. And my I remember my mum was like, don't do it, like, just maintain it. And I was like, no, because this needed to be a line in the sand to say, I am not a physio. I'm. I own a physio business, but my focus is on business. That's what I enjoy and love actually now, um, and that's the area I want to concentrate on. So I, I, I don't. I'm not a physio. But it was. Yeah, a, yeah think, it was hard. Yeah, I, think, I think it's. Um. Yeah. Look, I think it's a great, a great. Dis, you know, it's like such a great decision, like that. Um, it's a crossroads, right? And you've chosen this this trajectory, and I, and I think I'm definitely not there. I can't actually see myself getting there, um, but um, I really admire it. Not because necessarily I'd want to. That's the decision for me, but I think it's great. Um, Let's hear the other side, I, Helen, about why you don't want to do that. I think, I think I've got, and I and I I I can see this in myself with certain arguments along the way I've got myself into and I did do the CSP leadership pro physio leadership program when it first came out I can't actually remember what year it is I'm going to say it was 2016 um and I think that part of my identity isn't just being with physio I think it's kind of like aspects of the physio profession (laughs) um you know I I'm a third generation physio I'm actually the sixth physio in my family We've actually already got a fourth generation. So we've got a seventh physio in the family of which of which, you know, I'm really proud of my relationship with my niece who has just qualified as physio and the relationship we've got around mentoring. Kind of like I'm trying to help her see the wood from the trees of all the things that you could get easily waylaid with in those early years. And um, I, I don't think I'm done with being a physio of where the potential for physio can go yet, um, if that makes sense. So, you know, my, my clinical practice was and still is really important to me as a physio. Like, like the buzz I get from being with a patient and and getting that life change is 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 what keeps me going. <laughs> um, and and actually, certainly from my perspective but I've done a lot of coaching Nicola with um Joe and you know actually embedding loads of that coaching stuff I can I can hear Joe in my ear a lot Sorry <laughs> um, <about that>. and <laughs> you know and and what what I'm seeing with with more of the mentoring because I I took a conscious decision in January and this was felt so ballsy and it's I'm so slow to the party on this <laughs> um was you know I have three clinical days which I really try not to do any business on. I do have to do aspects, 
but I don't do meetings or anything. And I'm being really strict with that time. So I can totally focus on, on patients and try and fill my list for those days. And then I have two days non-clinical and I'm really strict with that and not seeing patients in that. So I, I am definitely, which hat am I wearing today? But within those two days, I will do some of the mentoring with, with um, staff. And it depends of the level of, level of um, you know, experience particularly in private practice that that physio's got. But in terms of just some reflections back from, from one physio that I'm working with at the moment was like, I thought I was coming into physio to fix people. And now, because she's actually done um, the Peter O'Sullivan course, which I've done lots of cognitive functional therapy workshops. I've done about seven, I think. Um, and, you know, he's very much around kind of walking alongside the patient, empowering the patient, not abandoning the patient, but, um, empowering the patient and she says I thought it was all about fixing patients but you no know, what we do here is is very much not that and it's 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 much more of this coaching approach and I just thought yeah this is this is where where I can see my value is growing the 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 physio business through through seeing our value in what we can give patients that is beyond um, how long it takes a tendon to heal or how long you know that the intricacies of that has nothing to do with the relationship um, with what we gain with our patients in our value to, to accompany them on their journey and so so I've probably waffled my way through that one but it's just this idea that I'm not done yet with with experiencing what I think physio can be mm. and I love I love the I love the creativity that that can give me in physio and I, I am confident now, so I'm confident to ask probing questions and allow the science to happen with my patients, and, and, I, and I love that, and, I, and hopefully then grow confidence of others. So in the same way that you were saying there, Nicola, around um, uh, the, the business confidence, you know, it's, it's, it's and, and the bigger effect, I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, trying to see how that can then feed into the business element because it has massive implications into business because if you think that two or three treatment sessions is developing relationships with your patients to get them where they need to be and you know you see them once in a blue moon along the line um uh you I'm not sure as a physio you're really seeing your value to be able to get the best out of that relationship we have so much to offer we're just cultured into underselling ourselves. Mm. Yeah, and you've led me beautifully into the, the, the next topic, Helen. Um, and I know value, Nicola, is something you've been speaking about recently and you've been posting about quite a lot. Um, you shared a, a TED talk um, by Casey Brown on LinkedIn last week. And there was a line in that which um, I really wanted to pick apart with you both, actually. So she she's not talking about a clinical business. She uh, is actually... A business advisor I think isn't she or business yeah. coach or something like that um and she was saying oh, I'll get the the line wrong as well but it's she was talking she said people will uh, value you according to what they think you're worth and you control their thinking um which is a fair point and definitely we can take control of um our consumer if we use that not very nice phrase about our, our clients for a moment their thinking but the thought that went through my head is yes, but our thinking is very much controlled by history, culture, um, what we've decided makes us good girls and good boys. Um, you know, for us to get over our own thinking first is possibly the bigger mountain to climb than than changing the thinking of the people we're we're selling our services to. You're nodding away, Nicola. Do you agree? <laughs> I do I do like I've always felt I, I never felt like I belonged or fitted into healthcare because I think I I probably have a bit of I, well I do have an ESTJ kind of personality and I sit I, I've always sat this is probably slightly off but um, I've always sat more comfortably with men's beliefs and men's um, kind of and, and there's that great saying that isn't there, that if there's a job description, a man would apply for it, even if they only fulfilled 60% of the criteria, a woman wouldn't apply if they don't have 100% of that mm. criteria. And I think that we we are slightly more risk 
averse maybe in nature. I think it's interesting that probably, and I don't know actually the stats nowadays of what physio, the gender of physios, but historically I know obviously it's been female dominant, but probably then with male decision maker or the business owners. And and, and I'd be really interested to know where those stats kind of sit nowadays. But I think there's a lot of, um, you can't ever get away from kind of the societal or how we're brought up as people. I think physios are generally quite high achievers. Um, we're quite thinkers. Um, we may have we, like may have considered the medicine route and then not gone that route. But also that we can't go away from how we're tied into NHS culture from a training perspective. And uh, and therefore, the like majority of us will have done science based um a levels and studying prior to then doing physio we've not done business um economics anything along those lines uh and then we go into a course that is completely set up for a clinical technical which again it, it should be really at that point in in someone's career but there's no the context is very much you're going to go into an nhs setting uh or an nhs environment and therefore there's nothing around money or anything that sits into a more of a strategic commercial um different soft skills that would be needed in negotiation and advocacy and 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 then i think alongside that we've then had years of we've had years of disruption covid related but also with this big focus on within a professional leadership point of view on the demands and the challenges of the public health systems and not the demands and the challenges of the private health system that a high proportion of the profession work in as well. Um, and so you you then, that that's kind of a complete fireball mix of aspects going on. Um, but with a lack of, we've also got then the independent healthcare sector, which as you say, are quite small, um, I don't know where this term kind of cottage style comes from, but that cottage style industry where we don't have a national representative company that isn't, that we do now, but they're very PMI associated, B to B to C kind of relationships. So you still don't have that. What does, what does that, um, what does the PR piece of what physio looks like to the general public look like because we've got the comparison of I'm going to use big generalizations here but you've got NHS one session or a telehab a tele kind of appointment sheet of unpersonalized exercise off you go right through to um then in the independent the same kind of maybe a digital health kind of high volume low uh, low value in some respects physio and so we haven't had like a blueprint or a benchmark of this is and then you've got elite kind of sport um which again fantastic service but it's not like you wouldn't be able to it's hard to run that as a commercial service because you're spending like four hours a day with someone they're not going to pay for that <laughs> so um so we don't have this like benchmark of what is what is good commercial practice in the UK? And, and I'm not sure we have it, but we there are different options in kind of Australia and New Zealand. But so so we're all struggling to know what are we striving for? What's the ambition? What's the inspiration? What would what would we, we like that to look like? How do we benchmark that across the industries? Because we're all doing something different. And um, we're all being it's all we're all delivering it differently. We're all thinking about it differently. We've all got different arrangements with um, PMI companies, referrals, and that's fine. Obviously, that's a competitive market, um, but it's a very siloed, fragmented market as well. Um, and it's probably only now with the continuing kind of more macroeconomic challenges of people struggling to get public health services and therefore coming into more and more people coming and paying privately for something that they wouldn't have done before, that that to me it makes me think how are we delivering it and I think it feeds really much into Helen what you're talking about around the coaching aspect of that 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 is what we are doing as physios we're trying to make behavioral changes and that is therefore makes there's coaching elements to that and that definitely doesn't happen in one two or three sessions that is a longer term but if we've got a political and um 
public health where it's very short term, it's very budget driven, it's very, it's, there aren't aren't any long term incentives. That's the message that the general public have around health. And that's why, in my opinion, it's undervalued is because we don't have a lofty kind of moonstar ambition of what, what we're trying to aim for on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. Um, preventative healthcare is something that we talk about, but it's not in action anywhere. Um, so we undervalue it when you're, we don't know what we're aiming for. We don't know what the the purpose of where we're going for, but also because we're fighting against tide and we're having a lot of external pressures put on us as to this is what your, this is, this is how many treatments you should give someone. This is, so we've lost that autonomy, really, that is part of us being physios as a profession is that we're meant to be autonomous. So we're autonomous in our clinical profession from the point of view of our assessment and how we um, how we treat people. But we have, I think, quite limited autonomy in how we run our businesses to some degree. We can run it how we want to, but there's a lot of external pressures being put on us around what that should look like that are not coming from a clinical perspective or a patient outcome perspective, in my opinion, they're coming from a financial perspective. Mm, gosh, you walked us through an amazing uh, journey or description there of uh, sort of you know the last 10, 20 years of, of our profession, Nicola. Um, and so many things you said uh, chime with thoughts I've had over the years, one of which is, you know, are there many other professions where you're working um in a in a business sense alongside a massive sector of your same profession that is publicly funded um and you know I always feel this I haven't worked in the NHS for 20 years but I still feel this constant pullback from the type of things you've just said and I think this is where the autonomy goes this kind of unsaid um you know you should do this number of treatments and actually you shouldn't charge more than this and you could fill in those gaps but I think we're always being pulled back it's almost like a an NHS conscience um that is that is causing this this tension in us all but there was there was actually something at the end of that TED talk that you um shared Nicola which I've heard other people say and in some ways is helpful to me that if you think about the service user and you actually think about what you want to provide for them and you just touched on things like preventative health um, longer term real solutions if you really really feel into that then it becomes easier to talk about what you're doing and why it's valuable but you're absolutely right that isn't a coherent conversation or message from this private sector and that's that's tricky when the public messaging is, you know, I think we all feel and believe a lot of the same things, but we're not getting that across um, it, it consistently. I don't believe, Helen, you're looking thoughtful. What, what, what are your thoughts on this? You know, just going full circle into this whole identity thing for me was, you know, I think the idea of business. So Celia Champion calls this sort of um, element of value and money, mental money baggage. And that's yeah. something that that actually um, she came into our business with our team and it really shifted mindset. There was lots of good engagement around that, around kind of like it's almost, it also goes full circle as us as humans. Um, how do we value our worth as humans as to, as to what we then project onto our patients in, in terms of value? And I think that's a lot, a lot of my self-worth improving has has helped my my clinical practice because I value I I see that value and sell I'm much more comfortable selling that value and really what is where where my mindset would change was that the word business my old view and my mindset around business probably had had what I I do believe is mental money baggage that that a lot of culture in physio is is that oh if you're focusing on money then you're just interested in the money and it's just all about kind of like what that relation your relationship is with money whereas actually you know I still haven't really changed my mindset around what what I view what 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 I'm trying to say is that I think my view of business is now actually what is best for the patient is best for business so actually let's let's you know 
important, but it's it, it's focusing what what if we can get really good, you know, if what if we can have really good outcomes, which goes back to um, what Nicola was kind of trying to say, I think, around this whole idea of a, a blueprint and a benchmark. If we can just explore that, it's great for business and it's great for patients. And we've just got to um, get out of the idea that we're all trying to, um, you know, the idea that, that that making money out of it's a bad idea because everybody needs to pay their bills. And I remember a discussion I had with you, um, Nicola, around sort of physio ownership and physio businesses. And you know, the state of the physio industry right now, none of us are going to come out multi-millionaires, right? So, so we just want, we're just, try, we're just, we're just trying, we're just trying, we're just trying to, we're just trying to, to um, have purpose and, and um, do our best for our patients and stay, stay financially sustainable that we can help more people. And, and it's kind of like having to absorb all of that messaging. Here's a question so for a, you. Sorry, Nicola. I was going to say that on that aspect of that, it's that, Helen, it's that like from a business point of view, and this is where my MBA, I think, kind of was light bulb moments of this. It's like shareholder versus stakeholders. Like you're, if you if you are solely focusing on your shareholder of your business, which is either you as an individual or if it's a larger group, other people as well then that's a short-termism and things will go wrong. It will either show up in toxic culture, too money-driven. You just won't have a great business if you are solely focusing on that. But if you're looking after your stakeholders as a whole, and that is includes your shareholders, but it's more of a holistic view of... Um, who is referring into your business, your patients, your staff, That that is from both the, like we're saying things that is proven in the management and business research, that that is the long-term success of a business. And that's what makes it sustainable. That's what makes it viable long-term. So you can't just focus on shareholders, as I say. And, and we all know businesses that have done that. And they're either not innovating or they just lose all their best people because it becomes too money-driven. So it's that looking at all your stakeholders related to your business and how you manage and balance them all. And there will be different priority levels within there, but majority it will be staff and um, clients, patients at the top of it. And then everyone else should kind of filter under that PMI companies, referrers, um, shareholders but yeah you you need to have like a holistic view of everyone that impacts your business and how you manage and look after them. Do you use that process in decision making Nicola I'm sort of visualizing a triangle of you know that these are the three parties that I need to make sure this works for have I satisfied all of those? So on my on my MBA module, Managing Organisational Performance, which is what I've done my MBA dissertation on as well, I, I did a stakeholder analysis of a physio business. And, um, so, uh, and, and then you've got your internal and your external stakeholders and how you, so you don't, it's not a triangle, it's actually circles. And you've got ones that are urgent, ones that are dangerous, ones that are, so it, it's quite detailed. Um, I, I posted a picture of it on LinkedIn that I've did for my hand in of my assignment and in it's a great way of analyzing your stakeholders and and thinking about them in different ways and who your priorities are um and then as i say my mba dissertation looked at managing so organizational performance which includes some stakeholder analysis and then the leadership styles and it's a very very small data set of some mskpn business leaders um but we are we are massively lacking, I think, symbolic leadership within our profession. And that is the vision of where we're going, what it looks like, bringing people along that journey. We're, we're good at structural. We're good at human resources. So we can those, those are parts of like leadership frames. But we're not great at political, which is how we negotiate, how we advocate, like how we deal with conflict um, within organisations, that competitive aspect, um, which does need to exist within a commercial world. Um, and and, and competition is good. Like, obviously, we want a degree of collaboration. But if we also have a bit of a competitive market, it will make us all be better as well. It will, it will drive up the standards because and, and that doesn't need to be a bad thing. Like it, Like entrepreneurs are 
bringing like they can be best of friends but they can still have competitive businesses kind of thing because it will actually make us all be better if we're challenging each other and we're having difficult conversations about why do you do things that way but I think we either haven't had that or if it happens on social media it goes toxic um Mm. and and we all know those conversations that have kind of happened in the past and that and that makes us lose our identity even further because it like manual exercise well let's have all of it like we can deliver all Mm, of it mm. um but yeah the symbolic of like where are we going and obviously this all leads into at the moment the whole the new ceo of um the new chief executive who the csp is going to be we don't know who that is yet so when that or maybe that will give be a bit of a turning point for us to see where the bigger picture of the profession is going um because we are health promotion is an aspect of physio that like it should all always have been there but you can't really deliver it when you're you've got one session or two sessions with someone there's different priorities that you would put within that session um but if we're not delivering that health promotion and that preventative health piece, other people will. Other fitness work professionals will. Other well-being professionals will. We will lose it, I think, as part of physio if we don't try to incorporate this now into our physio because other people are going to be as qualified to do it as we are. Um, and the rise of kind of that consumer healthcare someone who wants to pay for their health is basically what we're saying, pay for their health and well-being, that exists. And if we are not showing ourselves to be the profession that can deliver that, they will go elsewhere because there is choice. It's a mm. there is just there is just so much on the market that people can access. So we can't assume it sits under our realm or our professional scope if we're not delivering it for people. Yeah. So controversial question coming up, um, and you can decide how, how honest you want to be with it, both of you. Um, so when we talk like this, I, I often think, how come physio hasn't got a kind of spec savers or vet equivalent where, you know, all these small businesses have been taken over by large conglomerates? And to an extent, Nicola, it's, you know, we we resist and we resist because of the things you were talking about, about toxic environments and too much emphasis on shareholder and losing um really the holy grail that we're all chasing I think which is that that balance where we we do manage to um provide amazing service um create businesses that sustain us and the people that work with us I think that's why um and I think we should pat ourselves on the back that that physio hasn't or private physio hasn't gone that way but um this idea of symbolic leadership I love that phrase um Nicola and I agree with you if we're lacking that, my controversial question is, do you think there is a possibility that that kind of leadership and direction and consistent messaging, particularly around preventative health, is going to come from the organisations we are already in theory led by? Or do you think there needs to be a rising up of a new leadership group and I know you know MS you may say MSKPN is one of those and there are others emerging um controversial and uh yeah I realize that's an uncomfortable question to be asked and an answer but what do you think go for it I'm happy to jump in because I don't find that uncomfortable at all <laughs> maybe that shouldn't um, surprise me <laughs> um I I do so I've gone full circle in some of my thinking on this because um so Australia and New Zealand do have franchise um physios and 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 I don't know much about what they do from a kind of quality, are the staff happy, all that kind of thing. They're private equity backed, of course they would be. You need some investment around some of that. Um there are groups trying to do that in the UK. Um I'm not convinced solely on the model yet because the model sits in the reason spec savers makes money is because it's the glasses it's nothing to do with the therapy the the consultation the assessment so actually what we're saying here is physio just delivering physio sessions is low value and it probably will like i think what i'm coming around to is maybe there is a ceiling point we can't just charge 300 pound an hour it's never it's never going to work so what is the high value that we offer? And I'm not sure we've created or we know what that is yet to allow there to be a larger volume model. But I am, and the reason I kind of 
why I never wanted the business identified with me is because I'm quite open and happy to sell my business when to to be part of a bigger group that is going to be a national presence and have a benchmark. So I have conversations with people all the time. And I think when the time is right, that's the direction I will go. And I do think I don't I my business is not about me from an ego perspective. And therefore, I'm very happy to hand it on to a bigger group I'm also not going to be I don't think the person that leads a bigger group it's not my leadership style I'm, I'm not good in I'm, that's why I wasn't good in the NHS I'm not good with bureaucracy corporate governance anything I'm more the kind of disruptor it's like startup kind of what can we do differently I'm not going to be that person that leads a bigger organization I think 10 health and fitness do it really well across London I think they have a, a good mixture of uh, the exercise, they're quite reformer-based Pilates, but they do have physiology in there as well, exercise with the physio, so that integrated model. So I think there are small groups. We just don't have something national yet. Um, I think COVID has put a big, like people that were of bigger companies, they took a big hit during COVID. And so it's financially taking a long time to get out of that. I think there's some other political factors that I would love that we were advocating for as a profession. We shouldn't have VAT on fitness related. So anything kind of exercise based, there shouldn't be. I think we shouldn't sit in our business rates, shouldn't, should be in leisure or be not have business rates. Like we're held up at every point to deliver better health services because we're so we want to be professional I suppose in a professional services perspective but associated with that are a high so a, a lawyer can play they can be in professional services but they're, they're they're on 200 300 pound an hour so paying business rates isn't an issue when we're on a like a patient visit average of somewhere between 60 and 80 pound an hour like and we're paying the same overheads fixed mm. costs it's really hard for us to advance as a profession. So I do believe in being part of a bigger group. Um, I really liked the cooperative idea that Physio First had years ago. I don't know what ever happened to that or where it went. Um, but I think there's also an aspect that we need to prove what we do and that comes with data. Otherwise, someone external, we know we make great outcomes, but if we don't have the data, we can't go to anyone external who holds the purse strings on the money and the investment to say, this is what we do, because they there's just nothing to prove it. So mm. I think outcomes, proms, prems, Google reviews, any kind of forms of data that can show the experience that we give people, the outcomes that we deliver in a still a, a usable fashion, not collecting data for the sake of it. But yeah, I'm I'm really probing part of bigger groups. I mm. don't need to, I don't, that's, um, I suppose because I'm so, my business is not tied into my identity. I'm, I look at it more of where does the profession need to go? Um, and and some consistency in different regional areas and ideally across the whole of the country would be amazing um but not um but not on a on a, an equivalent model of what the nhs is mm. so some of the the private companies that deliver services on a large scale across the country i can't see the difference between that and what the nhs is offering yeah. and so it, it it's not yeah it's it might have created great shareholder returns. I don't know, but has it has it has it done anything good for the profession yet? I'm not sure it has. Yeah, thank you, Nicola. Helen, I'm going to come to you because I really want to hear your answer to that question as well. But in case I forget it, I just want to pick up on your point, Nicola, that you are very happy to be part of a theoretical group, but not the leader because you don't have. A certain skill set you're more of a disruptor I can totally buy into that mindset as well so my challenge is within the makeup of physios is there anybody that really wants to take that top position and maybe it doesn't need to be a physio it just needs to be someone that aligns with physio what you actually need is a great you need to have a great CEO business mindset because you will be running a business at that point and um, so you don't need to be a physio you just need to align with physio's values and the professional values um I don't know we 
it's an opportunity but it, like it will it will only happen leadership doesn't happen overnight so it only happens if people are taught or they choose to because they see the future of the profession then they choose to invest their own personal and professional development in leadership um leaders aren't kind of created so it's a skill it's as much of a technical skill as being a great physio and so there needs to be a reason that you would put you would you would put time and your effort into a career to be a great physio leader mm. um so it's a cat and dog in some respect well let's like put a chicken that- and egg kind of thing <laughs> Let's put our request out to um, the world for that person to to show themselves. <laughs> Helen, um, I'm going to remind you of the question: um, Do we have do we have the potential for this kind of symbolic leadership within the organisations we've already got, or do we need something new to emerge? I mean, I have re- I I know I am probably a serial empath, but. I do have massive empathy for the CSP of what they actually have to be able and when you're talking about all the corporate the corporate governance and layers of bureaucracy and layers of historical culture embedded in the profession you know I now sit down with my starter physios with with a kind of like uh very very blatant um clear direction of what the nhs i see and i perceive the nhs culture within physio to look like and that's very generalistic and that's very probably specific to the to 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 the user end service user end experience that i'm i'm listening to and then where we see ourselves as a as a business in terms of that culture and you know it's very very different because you know the nhs is just built um, bound by so many different pulls, uh, you know, how can the CSP really um, uh, provide leadership for those two magnetic pulls in opposite directions? So I, I you know, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with regards to the new CEO, um, but I have real <laughs> uh, empathy for, for, for the, those different pulls. Um, so, you know, yes, I do think other things need to emerge. And that's that's kind of like where, where Nick or I sit in terms of um, the benefits of, 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 of having an organisation like MSKPN. And, you know, I, I remember um, I didn't even know anything about the MSKPN until, um, you know, very early doors in COVID. And I don't even can't even remember it. And I remember um, just having this opportunity to be talking to people um, um and I just sat there. I'm not sure I probably sat there with my camera off, feeling really inadequate with all these sort of business owners on this on this um, discussion. And it was just so interesting because it was obviously very similar business issues. Um, and and I think I, that was all part of how I've emerged, changing my mindset around the whole the whole um, concept. Because you know it, what you're saying about competitive businesses driving up standards, you know. There was something on there the other day around two businesses that were that were literally next to each other in London, and you know one of the other businesses helped out another business when their their business was either flooded or fire or something, and the competitive businesses moved in with them. And you know if that's not great for patient care, you know and 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 the patient, um, and that whole kind of concept of all boat boats rise on a rising tide, you know that and and that, and I do think that. I mean, I, I would like to think we're not going to become siloed and just have a shed load of different organisations trying to, you know, I, w- I hope that we can all get behind um, uh, groups that, that we're not always going to agree on all points and just not have lots of lots of different organisations trying to drive that up because I, mm. I think it just dilutes the messaging. Yeah. But, um, and to yeah. an extent, that's where we are at. That's where it feels like we're at at the moment, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Okay, time is ticking on. Um, this discussion could go on endlessly. There's so many <laughs> topics. I think we might have to do a version two of this one. Um, but can I ask you to leave us with, uh, if you could put out a wish list for the next, hmm, let's say, five years' time for our profession, what if you could have uh, Michael Mosley as one thing 
um, to pick another health professional, what would it be? Say that again, Joe. Sorry. So one, one you get them. one outcome, one one fairly significant thing that changes in our profession over the next five years to really change the direction. Let's say for for the private sector, what would be your the one thing that you feel would give loads and loads of value, even though it was only one change? What would you choose? I would I would say know our worth as a human. That's what I would say. We all know our worth as a human. In the next five years. Yeah. Great. Nicola, what would yours be? I think mine would be something around um it'd be something about changing that belief of I did my physio or my physio didn't work. Or my so it's something around empowering people that health isn't something that's done to them it's something that you engage with professionals and experts to take you so it's a yeah it's it's this proactive approach to accessing services to assist you in your own health and well-being journey and we can partner with you at any point in that because we have a range of services and expertise to do that but it's not something we're doing for you and it's not something and and that's internal and external so it's all of our clients patients we're not doing physio for you physio is not a verb it's not something we do um and and that also then within the profession it's not a static it's not a static service that we offer it's a it there's evolution there's innovation it changes with the needs of what is happening around us and the technology that exists and there's so many kind of factors to it but it empowers people to think of it as um movement and dynamic and something that we uh, that we partner with, it's not something that's done for us. Mm. Yeah, I love can I bring in a bit of Brené there, Joe? You can, Please. and I'm, I'm going to marry both your things together, Helen, as well, because I think your human comes into that. But yeah, go for it. But but I, I remember a Brené podcast of my running podcast during COVID, which I had so many of, um, and just exactly around the, around the um, concept there, she had a lot. Uh, um, she used the Spanish word acompañar, which was to walk alongside. And oh, that, yeah. And she, there, was, there was a whole podcast all around that concept. And that's really what coaching is, isn't it? But it's, it's exactly kind of like, like um, embedding that in the culture. I really like that idea, Nicola. I think it's, um, if, we could all, if we could all buy into that, we all have to let go of our ego to be able to allow that to happen because because so many of our so many of our patients come in and tell us you cured me um and i'm really careful really careful to correct them when they say that like no i haven't i haven't got magic hands i've helped you i've helped you see your light you know it's it's we've got to we've got to get rid of that we've got to get rid of our identity that we're healers and and you know yeah I love, I love but all of what you both just said, and I think they're so intertwined, you know, for us to be able to be confident in that walking alongside, creating conditions for better health to emerge, we've got to be more confident in ourselves as humans. Um, I love the dual definition of movement that came into your wish Nicola that you know we're from day one we were about movement I think sometimes we forget that um, but if we can remember that you know movement is a flexible adaptive thing dependent on the changing environment around it and that actually is what we're really good at as, as physios I think I think that we can do really well to hold on to that um, I'm just going to add a, a, a little 
realization I've had, and it, it speaks very much to confidence in being a human, Helen. Somebody uh, in a different, in more of my coaching sphere, put out a question on Facebook. Um, she wants to work with school leaving uh, age girls, and she said, "If your, I think she said your, yeah, if your school leaving age self could have a message now, what would it be?" And my response was um, to have known that whilst my academic and sporting achievements were probably admired, what I was probably valued for was making people feel comfortable and making them laugh. And essentially, I think that's what's carried me through alongside some skills and some knowledge that I've acquired. But if I can remember as a human that that's probably where I sit that's where my greatest skill set is and I can't go far wrong um and it's such a relief to be able to to sit in confidence with that and go yes all these physio skills and whatever other business skills and things I acquire can come within that but essentially I need to make people feel comfortable and make them laugh and then I'll be all right yeah I relate to that completely Joe. leaving school is like head girl and head of captain of hockey and everything and then going to physio and being okay but not amazing and then going into business and being right back down so being comfortable with being back down at the bottom of ladders all the time and um and I think related to that last point around kind of the coaching that's probably the bit I think we undervalue the most because we put that that the value actually on that technical manual side mm. that when when it then comes to valuing physio we undervalue the the communication and the and the empowerment aspect that we give people yeah absolutely thank you so much both um when I grow up I want to be both of you and <laughs> if there is an emergent <laughs> symbolic leadership group in the future and you two are on it then I'll be very happy <laughs> Thank you so much, Joe, for the opportunity to talk. Pleasure. Thank you so much yeah, for being thanks. here. Have a great rest of day. And um, yes, I look forward to this podcast going out and being listened to hopefully far and wide and getting some great responses and reactions. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So I really enjoyed that conversation with Nicola and Helen and particularly the um, the leadership discussion at the end. It has left me feeling quite excited about the future for our profession and perhaps some of the people that might be emerging as leaders um, and possibly under perhaps slightly different definition of leadership than we might consider at first hand. Um, as always, let me know if you enjoyed the episode. If you're enjoying You Matter in general, then please go on to one of the platforms and um, leave us a review. It always helps to make sure that these, these episodes uh, reach other clinicians and other people who might be interested, supported, helped by listening to You Matter. Particularly if you're a business owner or someone moving into business ownership, I would love to hear your reflections on this discussion and also to hear about your own experiences. So do let me know. You can contact me uh, via mehab, joe at mehab.co.uk. And there's more information about mehab and the services I offer on my website. Again, www.mehab.co.uk. So if you are someone, and in this case, a business owner, being all things to people in your business, maybe still to your patients, at home, in all spheres, spheres of life, then remember to take time to set some boundaries around the time, which isn't for everybody else, but sometimes just for you, because you matter. Mm-hmm.